0: Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Alison Klein.
1: Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Alison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to be joined by Jonas Krogel. Chief Technology Officer at NetRounds. Welcome to the show, Jonas.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: So NetRounds has been on the program before, but it's been a while. So why don't you um, introduce the company and your role within the larger network arena?
0: Right. So NetRounds work with automated active service assurance, which is different compared to classical assurance, which is about monitoring device elements and looking at like, Temperature of a box. We are more looking at the data plane performance of IP networks. Mm-hmm. And we do this by installing something called test agents, active test agents throughout the network. And we test the data plane in the same way that normal users consume the services on the network. And the Netrons approach to this is a purely software based model where our test agents are running on x86 hardware platforms without any specific hardware acceleration or integrations to uh, FPGAs and so on. So it's a pure software-based solution. Mm-hmm. And we have been doing this for something like uh, 10 years. Um, and we started out on on physical boxes, small boxes. But nowadays, with virtualization, we mm-hmm. can deploy the same model also in uh, hypervisor environments and, and virtual mm-hmm. networks.
1: Why is it so important as we transition to virtualized networks that software based test agents are used to test network performance on an ongoing basis.
0: It's more relevant now than ever before. If you consider how the networks used to work with physical boxes, you would buy a box with both the hardware and the software integrated by a ven- uh, by the vendor and they had tested everything together. They have written a data sheet on exact performance like how many packets per second can it handle. Um what is the bandwidth and so on. But in the virtual world, when you're buying hardware from one vendor that that has Mm -hmm. some some specs and you buy software from a second vendor, they don't take responsibility for each other's uh, uh, part. They don't own the whole solution. So you as a customer own the solution. And the the virtual, uh, the VNF that you're buying doesn't have a fixed spec anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's super important that you know that it's performing according to your standards, that it doesn't introduce unexpected delay, jitter, latency, or sudden outages.
1: Now, obviously, this would be important in the core of the network, but also, when you take a look at SD-WAN at the edge, um, the advent of 5G network slices, SLAs are really important. Is there anything that's unique as we look at the advent of these new technologies across the network? in ter- terms of how you approach uh, your agent deployment.
0: Mm. Right. So, so our classic use case, the one we started out doing, was VPN assurance. So typically enterprise customers would buy small boxes and place them in their different branch offices and check that their VPN service is performing. That value is, is still here with Van. Um, but because now you're running the VPNs over a unassured network, you don't know exactly how the internet and the cloud would perform. So monitoring the end-to-end performance by software-based test agents running on the same UCP as hosting the sd makes perfect sense and it doesn't come with an additional hardware cost. Sure. So so it's it's more important than ever and it's more feasible than ever to do this.
1: When you look at um, the delivery of NetRound's capabilities... Um how important is it to work with the rest of the ecosystem to ensure that your software is tuned appropriately for the environments that it's going to be running in
0: yes so so we are doing integration testing with a lot of different platforms and, and other vendors to make sure that our platform and our t- software test agents are not um, giving false positives. Mm-hmm. Because when we say that there is suddenly an increase of jitter, we need to be sure that it's the network producing that and not our software. So so we call it to assure our uh, software on, our, on a magnitude of different platforms, including the common hypervisors, the, the KVM, OpenStack, uh, VMware and so on. And, and we also do this both closely together with other vendors, but also key customers.
1: That's fantastic. Um Tell me about the customer experience and, and how you're seeing customers deploy your software and the types of actions that they may take if they do see an increased jitter moment, as you described.
0: Yes. So, so our, our platform is mainly oriented around three use cases. So the first one is about proactively testing a service before you put it into production. So ideally, our customers have already tested the, the customer service before they tell the customer to start using it. So already there you have found a magnitude of problems that you have been able to solve before, telling mm-hmm. the customer, please use the service. The second part is the active monitoring, mm-hmm. where we are continuously sending a small amount of traffic, like uh, a promille of traffic. So just a few packets per second to make sure it's working every single second. And when it detects that there is a degradation, like you said, jitter or sudden packet loss, then the same infrastructure that we provide can be used to troubleshoot the service. So you can work with different tracing tools. You can send uh, predetermined patterns of of packets to figure out, is it only applicable to small packets, large packets, packets with certain port numbers or in different QS classes. So you can use the same test and also sectionalize where the problem is coming from and identify what is the impact to my customers based on this.
1: Yannis, you know, so I'm sure that you've spent a lot of time studying this. So w- what is the um, predominance of um, occurrence of network degradation and variability mm. of performance? And do some um, comm service providers out there just not know what's going on on their networks?
0: Uh, uh, absolutely. So we, we have spent some, some time and effort in, in doing surveys and research into how big this problem is because it's largely a hidden problem. Uh, It's something we refer to as brownouts, which is the the case where the service is degraded or there is even an outage and no current systems are picking up that in passive fashions. So then the service provider is only waiting for the customer to identify that, hey, my service is not performing or it's down and then create that trouble ticket. And and that's not not even all customers create trouble tickets. Some customers will just churn and pick another service provider. And And never tell the operator that they have picked something else right. and and we have seen that that about uh sixty percent of of these issues are are coming from brownouts uh, where um, you you didn't pick up the, the the problem with any other tools than the customer calling and complaining that so makes it's a, perfect it's sense. definitely a big problem
1: it makes perfect sense, especially where service may just be slowed, not yes. completely <laughs> out and you know the, the customer annoyance factor would then <laughs> escalate appropriately. It has
0: a very high churn factor when you're annoyed with your service mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't recognize you having a problem.
1: Exactly. So tell me, I know that NetRounds has been around um, for a number of years. Tell me where you are with the delivery of your software and how have customers responded to it? Mm.
0: So, so we have been doing this for, for more than 10 years today. Uh, and we have always been a software-oriented company, so software first and then packaging it to to run on a certain uh, hardware platform but but now with the the virtualization trend coming it's so easy to install a very tiny test agent on every single hypervisor and Mm -hmm. the hardware specs that we're talking about is uh, less than a single cpu core so um, it it doesn't really take much much resources to put it on existing infrastructure
1: now, I know that you guys are part of the Intel Network Builders program. Yep. Tell me about um, why engaging with the Network Builders mm. ecosystem is of value. Uh,
0: yes. So, so there is a few different factors. One is that we, we get to collab- collaborate with our partner companies mm-hmm. um, because many other vendors specialize in, in other parts of the ecosystem and they have a, a, a need for active service assurance. So then they can find us through the community and we can find partner companies to work with there. Uh, but, but it's also a, a, a platform for um, for for customers to find us, I mean, that they can look at what Intel is doing with us and what we're doing with Intel, and from there, um, find suitable solutions.
1: So with um, the arrival of virtualized network services, we've also seen the automatic automated provisioning of services. Tell me about how that affects uh, your... Uh, approach to delivering net rounds
0: right so in the earlier days before automation became a big topic um, a network engineer would deliver a service to a customer by logging into a switch and a router and and doing a few CLI commands to configure the service and maybe he would finish off by doing a ping towards a a known target to see that it's at least working to, to some extent nowadays we are automating the configuration of those devices so the customer can buy a service and then within a few seconds it has been configured in the network but we, we should not uh, remove the, the testing of that service so that simple ping that that engineer was doing we can do better now we can work with active Service assurance and test the full service we can test it from a bandwidth point of view checking that you have enough bandwidth end to end we can check for jitter packet loss and and, and delay issues we can check QS behavior. So, we can send traffic in different QS classes to make sure that the voice traffic is not uh, suffering from, from bad performance when you're doing a file download and so on. So, so, we can do a much more extensive service activation testing now than we were able to do earlier, thanks to optimization. Um, find suitable solutions.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, final question for you, Jonas. I'm sure that we've piqued folks' interest in the application, and um, ex- uh, folks will probably want to go ahead and um, at least do a trial of this application. Where would you send them for more information?
0: Right. So we we actually provide free of charge trials. So since we are software based, it's only a software download, uh, and we provide the the control center or the 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 back end of the solution as software as a service uh, Mm -hmm. uh, free for trial users. And and that can be found on Mm www.netrounds.com and that's also where you find contact details and uh, a lot of white papers because we we do quite a lot of research and surveys and we make this uh, also available free of charge for download there.
1: That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Thank you very much for having us.
1: Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to be joined by Adrian Cumley, General Manager of Dynamic Network Services at British Telecom. Hi, Allison. So, Adrian, it's awesome to have you on the show. Um, Why don't you just tell us a little bit about Dynamic Network Services and what your role scope is at BT?
2: Yeah, so um, I run the dynamic network services team, which means that we do all of the software-defined networking portfolio products for our global multinational corporate customers. So that could be SD-WAN, that could be um, data center LAN, uh, it could be um, service chaining virtualized network functions on UCPE, for example.
1: That's fantastic. Um we spend a lot of time on ChipChat Network Insights talking about under the hood on the technology progression around NFE and SDN, Edge, UCPE, all of those things. What I want to talk to you about is why are these technologies so critical to how BT is delivering um, services to your customers and, and what you're able to do in terms of delivering a better service experience?
2: Yeah, so I, I would say that about 99.9% of our, our customer conversations um, rotate around an SD-WAN conversation today. So absolutely center of, of everything our customers want to talk about. And they want to understand the kind of evolution plan. So if they're going from a you know uh, what we've seen is customers accelerating their move to the internet, mm-hmm. um, driven by cloud, accelerated by SD-WAN, so they want to talk about that. Uh, they want to talk about how SD-WAN will change their network evolution over the next couple of years, and where UCP sits into that. And I think you know it's, it's fair to say that we don't see mass global deployments of UCP and VNFs today, mm-hmm. um, but with the Um, I think advent of some quite commercially attractive um, high power UCP options coming to the market extremely soon, powered by Intel, um, then I think that that potentially is a tipping point. So we're going to see more of these deployments more often, more quickly. Um, So the commercials are are, are changing. And also IoT. Um, IoT is going to be a bit of a game changer as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, when we look at UCPE, when you look at the customer bases, are there particular industries or particular types of customers where you say this solution is going to be a fast mover in this market?
2: Um, I would still say it, it's. Um, if, if we look generically, then then the market is still very immature. Um, if we concentrate on that IoT use case, though, okay. then your manufacturing sector, your mining, oil and gas, okay. then they're leading the way with with IoT. Now, IoT can either make your business case to deploy UCPE, um, or what we're starting to see is the emergence of an IoT-led case in its own right, a use case. So that would mean that we would deploy an IoT solution on UCPE, perhaps independent of um, Mm SD-WAN for a customer, and then they would come back to SD-WAN in in X months' time.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. So they're looking for a localized solution, and then we'll... um connect that into an SD-WAN pipeline for them for multi-site over time. Is that, the, is that the vision?
2: Yeah, potentially. I mean, they can either use SD-WAN today for best path to the cloud. Um, mm-hmm. So they do local processing at their sites, their manufacturing sites, for reasons of latency. Um, because if you're dealing with business-critical machinery, sure. th- the last thing you want to happen is for that to spoil the production, to kind of go over a pressure, kind of threshold, You want to be able to look at the the output of that machine or pipeline in terms of microseconds. You don't want to do that in the cloud, you want to do that locally with local processing. Um, But you still need to get to the cloud for site-to-site comparisons or um, to store the data or to do big data analytics. So either having a micro instance of Azure or AWS on your local site, syncing into the cloud, Um, But you need some sort of way of of kind of um, getting to the the cloud. Uh, And that could be SD-WAN or just routing.
1: Now, there are a lot of macro trends from a technology perspective that are happening at the same time. Some of them we've already talked about, um, UCPE, SD-WAN, IoT um, at the edge. We also see 5G um, entering the equation. How do you... Disambiguate all these technologies and see them as influences on each other, but um, different and um, important trends.
2: So, uh, I think we've, w- if we look at five G um, in the UK, BT owns EE on mobile arm, uh, and they're at the forefront of five G. 5G- um, in in the u k market, so we've we, you know we were the first to bring five g to um, a number of uh, cities and we'll be expanding that quite considerably in this calendar year um, looking at, at at where we see five g making a difference perhaps for for our business customers, um, we were the first to uh, test out the use of five g um, with um, kind of uh, remote experts. So, um, at Birmingham Hospital, we had an ultrasound trial where we had a clinical expert in the hospital guiding um, a, a an ambulance um, uh, kind of uh, emergency response expert using a haptic glove so the expert in the hospital has a joystick that then sends a 5G, over a five g network a signal to the um, expert actually out in the um, uh, accident scene they then move the glove according to where the expert wants that glove to okay. go and it sends the, the ultrasound uh, signal back to the expert so they can um, assess the problem and they can decide on the treatment for that um, individual who's been hurt or, or had an accident or whatever. So that was the first trial you know, we did uh, ever uh, mm-hmm. of, of that kind of service. So that's kind of ex- one example of 5G. Um, the other examples would be in, in sort of IoT where um, I think if we if we look at IoT, then Wi-Fi doesn't really cut it. Mm-hmm. You know, Wi-Fi is great, but uh, it's got a. Um, you know, some of our tests have indicated it's about 140 milliseconds delay response time over Wi-Fi. And if you're dealing in in very very small latency, very low level latency, then you can't shut down your machine fast enough over Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Similarly, it's not reliable enough. It wasn't built for five nines reliability. Mm-hmm. So five G is. And therefore, um, that gives us a much better experience in terms of bandwidth and security and latency compared to uh, Wi-Fi and indeed 4G. Mm -hmm. So um, if you've got a a, a camera that is monitoring a machine and it's looking for absolute micro movements in that machine um, to illustrate if that machine is performing correctly or not, Mm -hmm. so it's doing video analytics. And um, over 4G, we tested high-def cameras And they can um, uh, pass an image correctly to UCPE where you do local processing. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, if if you want to, you can start recording in um, slow-mo if you identify a problem to then send that to a remote expert. The problem is that 4G can only handle one high-def camera at a time. Um, It can't handle ultra-high-def. 5G can. So we get a lot more advantages from 5G deployments for IoT as well.
1: That's great. When you look at the technology that's coming from the industry across all of these spaces, what have you seen that's very promising from the industry in 2019 in terms of technology and standard advancement? And where would you like to see um, future advancements in 2020?
2: Um, well, I, th- I think actually some things I've just talked about in terms of uh, the development of 5G are really exciting right now, and that, that's going to kind of change our customers' lives in terms of how they can do deployments. Um, and if we go back to the previous example, mm-hmm. instead of having to have um, – uh, call out an expert who is um, – very time constrained by having to travel to a factory to do a specific piece of maintenance on a machine. They can now do that remotely. So they can use the video analytics I was just talking about. That makes them far more productive. And it also means that they can um, instruct the local maintenance team on how to keep that machine going. They can do that remotely. That saves downtime. You don't have to take a machine out of production. And therefore, you can, uh, the company um, should make more profit as a result and look after their machines in a more effective kind of maintenance pattern. And then you can overlay things like augmented reality onto this as well, again, using 5G. So you can have um, the remote expert guiding the local uh, maintenance team. You can have um, overlaid PDFs of maintenance instructions designed to keep a machine running. Um, before you you can take it out of uh, production during um, the end of a shift, for example. So you can get a much more efficient processes as a result of using 5G and IoT. And we can see that becoming much more uh, prevalent over the next couple Mm -hmm. of years.
1: That sounds fantastic. I mean, you're describing a lot of game-changing capabilities in how businesses actually run. And, um, you know, your, your, your business is doing some incredible things to bring this technology to market. Um, we're at SDN NFE World Congress, obviously um, a tremendous event in terms of uh, industry ecosystem and um, comm service providers coming together to talk about um, technology, innovation. What has been the most impressive things that you've heard here in terms of what the industry is talking about uh, in the hang?
2: Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, that particularly interests me I, I want to go and see um, later on today is actually go down to the Intel booth, and, and there there's um, a joint demonstration between BT and Intel and Dell and Adver about mm-hmm. zero-touch orchestration. Mm-hmm. So in the context of IoT, this is being able to automate setup of IoT sensors, whether those are um, you know, pressure monitoring devices or video analytics or whatever they might be, rimbo- robotic arms. Mm-hmm. Um, have those automatically connect into your UCPE, uh, orchestrated, and then automatically connect your VNFs on your UCPE into the cloud. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see that being demonstrated, because I think that's a really um, very interesting uh, concept, powered by Intel and Intel's SDO, to be able to securely connect all of these devices together. So for me, that's a really exciting development.
1: When you talk about the, the use cases, they sound um, so palpable in terms of um, customer value how easy are these to deploy in these early stages? And what is the BT team doing to work with the industry to ensure um, effective and smooth deployment with your customers?
2: So, um, for example, we, we uh, let's take SD-WAN uh-huh. uh, rather than IoT, which I've talked to quite a lot about. So SD-WAN, we would um, sit down with a customer to really understand their root cause for why they would deploy SD-WAN. What are they trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. Well, that's pure cost reduction, um, whether it's particular applications performance. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would understand the root causes. We would then recommend that to speed up time of deployment, they would um, come to our labs, Mm -hmm. um, or we can go to their uh, premises. It works both ways. Mm -hmm. And sit down with a group of our experts who would um, model uh, in a virtualized way the deployment of SD-WAN in their environment. So we would go from their current state network to uh, future state network via a number of steps. And we would look at what if scenarios running to say, well, you know, what happens if I move my pure MPLS network to internet today? What happens to the application's performance? What happens if one of the, um, the primary fails over to the backup? What happens when I bring SD-WAN into the equation? I do layer seven routing across the best performing path. Um, And so we would sit down and um, make sure that um, uh, we have an evolution path set out with our customer to give them a really good experience for when they actually deploy that, Mm -hmm. then they know what's going to uh, happen to their business critical applications. So that would take about two to four weeks to plan Mm -hmm. and execute with the customer and take them through the actual uh, lab demo process, as we would call it, in a virtualized environment. And we would emulate their um, specific site setup, their specific applications traffic, and run a whole series of what-if scenarios. And they get a written report at the end of it. So that's just one example of what we're doing to kind of uh, give our customers a different experience Mm -hmm. uh, in this area.
1: Now, Adrian, I know that you mentioned the demo here in The Hague with with Intel on sensor deployment, but in reading um, for prep for this um, interview seems like we've got some collaborations between our companies across a number of fronts. Tell me about the relationship with Intel and why that's an important thing for BT.
2: Yeah, so actually I was talking to one of your colleagues last night. Um, and I think, I think uh, it's really important for us because Intel can bring access to a range of partners, mm-hmm. uh, vendor partners, to help us build a um, really strong solution together. So, um, you know, working with Intel, working with Dell, working with... Um, other other uh, companies that are leading the innovation in this space and i think Dell hel- um, sorry, intel helps broker that relationship and certainly our industrial our park r&d facility in ipswich in, in england um, we've got a multi-partner ecosystem there mm-hmm. uh, where intel plays a key part in um, pulling together the kind of the vendors that would then form a, uh, a managed solution for our customers
1: Well, I'm very excited to hear about the dynamic network services that you're delivering with your team. Um, I can't wait to hear about um, examples of customer deployments as these technologies mature and customers start to really reap the full benefit out of them. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Adrienne. One final question for you. If folks wanna find out more about what BT is doing in this arena, where would you send them?
2: Yeah, so um, if you go to the bt.com website, then they can access all of the dynamic network services information from there. Um, so it should be easily accessible, or just Google it, um, and it'll it'll uh, quickly appear in the in the list of uh, websites to go to.
1: Fantastic! Thanks so much for being on the program. Thank today. you, Alison. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to have two industry experts with us, Phil Claddy, Senior Product Manager for Service Providers at F5 Networks, and Shai Senior Solution Architect at Cloudify. Welcome to the program, gentlemen.
4: Hi. Thank you for having us. Hi.
1: So, Shai, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself first and talk a little bit about your role at Cloudify?
5: Uh, okay. I, uh, am from Cloudify. I'm a solution architect. I work a lot with service providers as well as with enterprises. And, uh, we see different challenges. Uh, now the, m- everyone talks about multi cloud, Kubernetes, uh, how you orchestrate workloads. Uh, Workloads at scale, and uh, this is challenging, and you have to do it very dynamically because Kubernetes is a very dynamic environment. Workloads pods can come and go provisioned and terminated uh, in uh, subseconds, and you need to know where to place them, how to manage them, how to uh, actually orchestrate all the life cycle of uh, each one of the workloads. Uh, workloads need to talk between them. Themselves, One workload could be on-prem, another workload could be on the cloud, AWS, Azure, etc. The communication should be secured. You cannot do it manually anymore. Everything should be automatically orchestrated uh, with an orchestrator that is very modular and dynamic because uh, the the problem changes. And uh, actually, every time I come to, uh, that surprises me that when I come to a new telco and uh, I'm uh, faced with a new challenge, I can see that I can do it with Cloudify. Cloudify is actually uh, based on uh, Tosca mm, uh, orchestrator. Tosca stands for topology and orchestrator for cloud applications. So uh, you define nodes and connections and relationship, and you can define lifecycle, uh, actually, operations uh, between them. And it's very modular to uh, actually create a new scenario. So one scenario, for example, uh, I was...
1: Um, so, so Shai, l- we're just doing introductions here, so I want to make sure okay. that we get we get the entire interview in. Um so thank you for that introduction, Phil. Do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about F5?
4: Sure. Yeah. So, so I'm Phil Claudi. Um I I do work in the service provider uh, product management at F5. Um, uh, F5 uh, has a su- suite of products, um, many of which are sold across enterprise and uh, service provider um, in terms of, uh, security and access control and, uh, traffic management and, uh, application delivery. Um, and then we have some few things that are specific to service provider, like some policy enforcement products, um, some of our carrier grade NAT, some of the extensions on those functions. Um, and, uh, we have been focusing a lot, and this is sort of where this came in, uh, we've been looking a lot at where, uh, networking is going with service providers. I, I started doing virtualization a while ago when I worked at 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 AT&T and for AT&T, and we launched the first virtualized network function about Mm -hmm. 2011, 12, and uh, that was before there were standards. But the next stage is really containerization, and that really means Kubernetes, Mm -hmm. and so we've been looking at ways to fill in some of the gaps uh, in Kubernetes and make it carrier-grade.
1: So, Shai, you started to describe some of the the challenges of... um Delivering cloud native multi cloud orchestration to a communication service provider arena. I come from the data center arena and I'm very comfortable with Kubernetes as it applies to computing. Um, tell me about the difference as you see multi cloud instantiation within a um, comm service provider environment versus a traditional data center.
5: Okay in tradition data center you already have the different tiers you started with three tier application web application server database then you move to you break the monolith and you now you move to uh, Containers, you have challenges with containers, uh, who talks to whom and they create all this uh, network and security. Uh, That's one challenge. But when you go to a service provider, you have many more protocols. You have uh, SIP, you have diameter, Uh, you need to work at scale. Uh, Everyone that is connected, I'm connected to the network, is connected. I am vulnerable with my phone to uh, uh, to, uh, many... uh, you know, malicious code on the phone. Uh, I can infect the others, so how do I block it? So for that, uh, F5 has a nice uh, tool for uh, uh, doing the DDoS protection as well as the firewall. And uh, you need to think about uh, the all problem as an end-to-end. You have a scaling problem, that's one thing. You have many locations, not one location, so you need to uh, orchestrate at scale. Sometimes we came up in, in in Cloudify with a new product that is called Spire. And Spire is not uh, just one manager. It's a manager of managers. Mm-hmm. You can have a uh, actually national manager and regional manager. And like this, you can manage at scale. At now let's look at the 5G and uh, Mac and all this stuff. So you need to have local managers, uh, which will be responsible to different uh, local clusters of Kubernetes. You need to have uh, actually a higher manager. And if you want now to uh, cr- uh, run a workflow that will be and um, r- actually executing uh, deployments on different things. You can tag the different uh, regional managers or, or even le- a level below it, and you can run one, r- one workflow from the central manager uh, at once. So you want to control it from one central place but to make it distributed. So uh, this is uh, another challenge. Another challenge is that the connection and the networking when you establish actually workloads between multi clouds and uh, service providers are going this way so they're going to uh, use uh, Azure and other uh, uh, stuff so you need to make all the connections uh, first you have to create a connectivity after that you have to make it secure and uh, you have lots of IP addresses and IP addresses are very dynamic. How do you manage this? You now work to go to work with tags and, uh, you know, need to know who are your users and uh, when they are allowed to connect, etc.
1: Now, Phil, you said you worked at AT&T and you can see the value of, um, cloud native implementations from a comm service provider perspective. Why is this such a compelling technology from a business perspective for them? And, um, what are the underlying challenges? You know, we've 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 heard about some of the things that uh, Shai has laid out in terms of the core capabilities that are needed. But what are the underlying challenges in the way uh, that uh, multi cloud orchestration represents versus how um, com service providers traditionally manage their networks?
4: Yeah. Um, so, so I think I think the question you asked Shai is actually one of the key questions, which is how are service providers different? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had the same problem when, when we moved to virtualization. Virtualization was really created to virtualize compute, mm-hmm. uh, and so when we moved to virtualizing network functions, uh, you know, the service providers who are, you know, five nines, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, 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 suspender and belt um, kinds of uh, thinkers who are delivering the, the fundamental networking uh, created their own standards for uh, Etsy, et cetera. Um, as you move into Kubernetes, again, uh, all of the future technology in uh, in service provider is really based around containers. So when you're talking 5G, when you're talking network edge, when you're talking their digital transformation, et cetera, et cetera, it's all in containers, and really the platform for that is Kubernetes. But Kubernetes was not designed for service providers. It was really designed to obfuscate. Networking. It was designed for developers, and if you, we had one of the original team from uh, the Kubernetes team come speak to us, and we started asking him all these detailed questions about networking, and he basically said, "Look, you know, our our guys knew enough TCP/IP to put it together, uh, right?" and sh- If you take a look, for example, one of the things that we demoed was our uh, container ingress service where we take our big IP product and we we instantiate it as an ingress into Kubernetes. Um, Your standard ingress is like an L4 or an HTTP load balancer because it's really made for thing, those kinds of workloads. Um, but we're able to understand things like a diameter protocol, which is very challenging because of the way that it comes into a single peer, um, the kinds of topology hiding you need uh, when you have these small uh, um, workloads distributed through a, a cluster. Um, and so there are very specific needs that service providers have, um, and that's what we're trying to focus on.
1: Shay, how, how have you bridged at Cloudify um, between the world of uh, data center computing and and comms and delivered a solution that, that will work in this environment? Yeah, it's
5: a very good question. Actually, the Cloudify origins come from the data center. Tosca stands for uh, Topology and Orchestration for Cloud Applications, so we were actually uh, developing uh, this product uh, initially for data centers. So we work uh, as well with enterprises, large banks, and uh, after that, we uh, came the NV world and uh, the containerized world and uh, all this stuff. So, Cloudify is very modular. So, we created uh, actually additional types and additional uh, additional plugins. Cloudify is based from composed from core core engine and plugins to access different APIs. So we created additional stuff, and on top of it, we an- enhanced the core, and we supported uh, all these uh, standards with the Tosca NFV and uh, supporting many service providers. Now, uh, as I said before, uh, it's uh, very challenging, but uh, Cloudify, because it's modular, it allows us to add things uh, on the fly, and uh, you know, the future unexpected scenario uh, is always challenging, but we uh, I haven't seen any scenario that we couldn't uh, accommodate. So, uh, yeah, so we extended the core and supported uh, this vertical of uh, service providers. Now for them, on the business side, it's very uh, exciting because with a click of a button, they can introduce a new service, check it, mm-hmm. see if it makes sense from a business point of view, and uh, change it on the fly uh, so they can add additional stuff. So uh, we work with uh, a service provider. That we created a portal, and uh, on this portal, we created security services, and he now uh, delivers this to his clients. So uh, let's say if you have a client, the client wants to onboard his uh, offices uh, mm-hmm. across the country. So he goes, create the, the offices, creates the services, like a basic firewall, then advanced firewall, malware detection, et cetera, and everything uh, with a self-service portal.
1: Now F5 has obviously done a lot um, to drive the performance and latency characteristics in a Kubernetes environment that will make it play for comp service providers. You talked about... Um, uh, container ingress service as one example. How has the approach been in terms of uh, utilizing your networking background within this environment, and where are we today in terms of those capabilities?
4: Well, so for us, it was kind of kind of natural. So uh, you know, we already so. F5 really started, um, our founders really kind of invented load balancing. And if you think from that point of view that we started in front of all of the servers, you can think of the way that we evolved to do all of the things that you do at the front end. Mm -hmm. So we front end, you know, I don't know, 450 of the Fortune 500 companies, right? And we're always at the front. We're doing the firewall. We're doing the load balancing. We're doing the traffic steering. We're doing uh, the access controls, et cetera. And if you think about what Container ingress is that's exactly what it is, and when you throw in the ability to to understand again diameter or SCTP or some of the other uh, carrier specific protocols, um, you can see that having that that ability to uh, to receive those and then load balance them or even steer traffic away from Kubernetes uh, or to pr- to be a firewall in front of Kubernetes, um, you know, in a carrier situation, you really cannot trust so many things on your network. You can't trust a single one of the devices, but they can also, uh, you know, you can have other things infected inside your network. And so they really need to to, um, to worry about securing from end to end, not just at a firewall uh, to the outside. And so having that security uh, also in, in the container ingress is, is super key.
1: Shay, when you look at what we're doing here at SDNNFE World Congress, tell me about what's... The latest advancements from Cloudify and F5 ah, okay. that are on display. Th-
5: that's uh, also a very good question. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah just yesterday we demoed uh, an innovative solution. We c- actually not all wo- all workloads are born the same and not uh, all the nodes, even though they are off-the-shelf cards, uh, they can have acceleration capabilities from Intel. So we demoed how we actually do the m- placement, the matchmaking, taking a workload that manifests itself, that, for example, I- it needs CPU intensive and put it on a sup- CPU pinning or a NUMA uh, device. Or in with F5, we uh, actually demonstrated how we can do the encryption-decryption, SSL offloading, and put it on a Q80, uh, it's the Assist from Intel, uh, that accelerates it, and we got uh, doub- we doubled the performance. Nice. Yeah, and so we actually created, and w- this is going very nicely with Tosca because Tosca has something that is called requirements and capabilities. So the pod I- uh, manifests itself that uh, that workload that it requires uh, a QAT, mm-hmm. and the node I label the node with that this node of Kubernetes uh, has QAT capabilities, and then I do the matchmaking. So everything end to end plays very well.
1: Now, I know that Clodify and, and F5 are both um, members of our Intel Network Builders program. And you know, Shai was talking about the performance characteristics of um, optimizing for QAT. I know that F5 Networks has a tremendous history of working with Intel Absolutely. around performance optimization. Tell me why that's so critical um, in the capabilities that you're delivering.
4: Well, I mean, we need to do uh, incredibly complex things at line rate. Uh, we need to supply terabits of throughput, um, and so uh, being able to um, to utilize those those functions is is key. I think one of the big things again for service providers the the volumes of traffic are continuing to go up; revenue is not going up at the same pace, and uh, ARPU is uh, holding steady or declining. And when you think about the tr- the traditional Moore's Law, you, c- you guys are Intel, um, uh, where you think about generalized compute uh, getting faster and cheaper continuously, that's not happening as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you need to look at, pati- to figure out ways to save enough money to continue to build your network to meet the demand without losing money, you need to find, um, uh, individual optimizations for specific kinds of workloads. And it's always been a challenge to figure out how to take um, something that's that specific and roll it out in a way um, that's manageable. Mm -hmm. And so I think what our demo really showed was a a simple and effective method of using disparate uh, hardware um, effectively, efficiently, simply um, and putting the right workloads on the right nodes, um, and you know, working around maybe some of the, the weaknesses in like Kubernetes. For example, just one thing, um, you know, Kubernetes doesn't re-examine matchmaking, and so if you did place a workload that was optimized for QAT on a node that didn't have it, um, it would forever be there. Whereas, if you have Cloudify involved, it can say, "Wait a second, a new node has come on with QAT. I'll replace that," um, and you end up using your uh, utilizing your resources so much more effectively and efficiently.
1: Nice example. And and Shy, when you were talking earlier, you mentioned um, some customer examples. What are customers seeking in terms of these types of capabilities? And and what has your experience been with com service providers? in where they're at on their journey of deployment for cloud-native environments and where they would like to go?
5: Okay, it very depends on uh, their geography. In the States, they are very advanced. uh, After that, Europe and Asia Pacific. Uh, Many of them already moved to virtualization. Now, uh, some of them are moving to containerized and Kubernetes. Uh, Everyone actually has Kubernetes, but that's not really in production, so they are moving to production. Uh, In production, you know, service providers have the five nines and the security and uh, all this uh, actually questionnaire about uh, that they need to adhere to. So they are in the process of moving there. there. Uh, What I see, the challenging stuff, uh, now everyone talks about 5G. It's the scale Uh, first. Mm -hmm. The scale, also the autonomy of things. So uh, let's say uh, we work uh, also with uh, ships companies. That you know, a ship company comes to shore once uh, once a year. It's like the five G, and you need to uh, they need to manage the life cycle of the uh, workload. So they need to do it uh, actually autonomically on the ship itself. It's like this in the 5G. Uh, if something fails locally, so let's say tomorrow you have the automotive, the smart cities and everything, so you connect it to the MEC. So you need to have an orchestrator there, a local orchestrator, a, a the, the one that has a very low footprint and knows to manage this. And at the same time, so it needs to be able to talk to the master orchestrator and get some new workflows and new blueprints. Blueprint is the definition of our uh, uh, work and uh, the lifecycle operations. So the different uh, blueprints and different uh, uh, new deployments on this. So the scale, I think the scale and the distribution is very challenging for them. And uh, in the containerized world, also uh, there are many challenges, uh, like the in the old world, like uh, security, okay, like connectivity. What kind of network? So. Uh, what we demonstrated here, Intel actually created Multus. It's, uh, today Kubernetes supports only one interface, CNI with in, in one interface, mm-hmm. network interface. So with Multus, you have p- two interfaces or more. So uh, you can create a DPDK on one side, Flannel on the other side, and you can connect it, uh, and it's very mandatory for uh, VNFs and
1: uh, network devices. Very nice. Um, final question for both of you. We're out of time. Um, I'm sure that we've piqued a lot of folks' interest online about the products that you guys are delivering to the marketplace and how they can help the comm com service providers move forward with their network transformation. Phil and Shai, can you please just provide a website where folks can go to connect with your teams and learn more about your solutions? Why don't you go first, Phil?
4: Well, ours is simple. It's f5.com. Uh, obviously, we do have specific NFE pages that are you know uh, easily found using Google or, or via f5.com. Um, but I think it's uh, it's worth exploring around a little bit because F5 has uh, a broad suite of products, but you can also go directly to the NFV pages. Yeah, for us, it's cloudify.co. Cloudify is an open source
5: orchestrator, so you have all the documentation, everything, uh, many examples, uh, many available plugins that uh, we created, some other created, and we share it uh, within the community, so cloudify.co.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much, guys, for being on the show today. It's been a real pleasure.
4: Thank you very much. It was great being here. Yeah.
1: Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague. And I'm delighted to have Charles Furlan, VP and GM of Telco at Lenovo back on the show with us. Welcome back, Charles.
6: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
1: So Charles, you were last on the show at Mobile World Congress, and we were talking about um, Lenovo's advancements in the network arena. Um, We're here now at The Hague. It seems like a a nice six months cadence for us. It is. Why don't you just start with introducing your role at Lenovo and, and talk about where Lenovo's at in terms of engagement with telco.
6: Okay, so basically where Lenovo is focusing, and my team specifically is focusing on selling to the infrastructure component of the telco, of the operator. Basically, they're going through a transformation today where they are uh, planning out their 5G deployment and their edge computing deployment, and we are developing partnership and solutions that is really addressing that part of their business. How can we help the so the service provider to deploy a five G infrastructure running on x86 server? How can we optimize the performance? How can we have the solution tested, validated, and supported? And uh, and that's the type of solution that we we, we bring to market.
1: Now, obviously, Lenovo is uh, delivering infrastructure al- across a wide array of markets, what is the advantage of having that scope and scale of uh, different market segments that you're serving and what you can bring uniquely to the telco arena?
6: That, that's a good point. Well, first of all, Lenovo is a truly global company. We operate in 180 markets around the world. So that gives us a footprint that is, is hard to match, right? Mm-hmm. So, And that is, that is also very useful for some of the service provider to do business with us is we can service... Their need in many, many different markets around the world. Um, we also have the the uh, a lot of expertise in house. When I joined Lenovo, we're looking at how do we optimize the NFV deployment. How do we uh, deploy these systems in thousands of locations? And it turns out that there was a, there is a lot of know how inside Lenovo that can help me build my business unit. So when I started this practice in last year, we looked at. Um, the high performance computing team, right? Num- Lenovo is the number one in, in HPC and sure. has a lot of know how and craftsmanship on how to optimize the operating system to get the most out of a server and the most out of the application. Uh, and that team used a lot of acceleration card, FPGAs, GPUs, Intel Quick Assist card, mm-hmm. these sort of technologies. So we recruited a lot of some of the help from that team to say, hey, we have a different workload. It's an NFV workload. It's a VNF. It's Telco. The different different application, but the principle remains the same. And how can you help us fine tune that operating system to fine tune that car to be um, to be delivering the best performance on that platform? Uh, same thing with scale, right? Um, we Lenovo is the supplier to six of the top ten hyperscale uh, companies in the world, um, and so deploying. Ten thousand servers is is a no brainer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the big difference now is ten thousand servers in tool facility is one thing, and now we're turning this upside down and say, well, now you have two servers in five thousand location, mm-hmm. so it's a new challenge. But we use a lot of the know how and tool set that we're wor- are working and our IT expertise, and that's. Scaled deployment that we're now using in, in edge computing, for example. So there's a lot of things that I'm leveraging that, that this telco expertise is leveraging from our existing practice inside Lenovo and and, and, and making our uh, telco division a lot more efficient.
1: You talked about 5G. You also talked about the um, growth of the edge, and that's a great example of workload differentiation and, and scaling the right capability to the right workload. How are you seeing um, the... Uh, network market mature, and where are you seeing the uh, largest areas of growth over the next couple of years? It,
6: it, it will be around the edge, for sure. So mm-hmm. uh, processing data closer to the source is, is, is going to be super important. And what I mean by this, and I think Gartner came out with a study that showed that uh, right now only 20% of data is Processed outside of the data center. And by 2025, they're expecting something like 75%. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and a good example of that is if you're monitoring uh, license plates in a city and you want to capture what are the license places coming in and out of a certain. Intersection and at the corner of two streets. Uh, well, sure, you'll have camera, but if you're using, uh, if you're backhauling that video feed all the way to a data center somewhere in the middle of the country to process and extract the license plate number, you carried a lot of information for perhaps no reason. All you want is a license plate. So that's a good example of an edge computing use case where that we could use a GPU a graphic interface, a, graf- a GPU card to help us process. Uh, and read the license plate directly at the edge and only upload the license plate number, which is a few few characters, right? So that's where we see a lot of the growth to be able to process data outside of the data center, which introduce as well a different paradigm or different set of challenges as well, um, On one around security, for example. Mm-hmm. So now data centers are pretty well... Uh, protected they are f- their fence there's security gods there's physically these buildings are hard to to reach um if we're now putting compute resources outside in the world outside a data center well how do you secure the data right mm-hmm. so and that that's where some of the innovation on the hardware design comes in for example at lenovo we had put a special chipset on the board uh, making the, the device completely useless if you're not authenticated. So it won't even start. You can't read the disk. Um, but then you have an application on your phone that you connect to the server and you authenticate uh, the server say, so, yep, I am the administrator of that device. And automatically it turns on and then after that we deploy and 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 have uh have the system ready to use. The disks are encrypted, of course. That's most important because the data is is is, is, is staying locally. Uh, but we also put some kill switch in it. If you move the server, if you try to tamper with some of the hardware components, we automatically delete these encryption keys to protect the data, so that it, somebody cannot just steal the device and use a brute force method somewhere to break through. You know, after break through it after several hours or weeks of of a penetration test. So,
1: Interesting. Now, I know that um, Lenovo and Intel are collaborating in this arena quite a bit, just as we have across um, our businesses. Um, When you talk about workload optimization and looking at different ways to deliver unique capabilities, how has uh, Lenovo partnered with Intel on that?
6: Uh, well, w- you're right that we are great partners, and I appreciate the collaboration that we have with Intel. Um, we work, for example, on the Intel Select platform where we uh, validated some of our, 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 our solutions. Uh, so that's one way that we're collaborating. We also created a joint innovation program with Orange, between mm-hmm. Lenovo and Orange, and that Joint Innovation Program use a lot of the Intel rack scale design components mm-hmm. to measure d- if some of the, the power consumption ratio, the, p- p- for the performance versus power consumption ratio, uh, specifically at the edge. Are we better to put an acceleration card at the edge, mm-hmm. or is it better to keep it at a central office, somewhere th- where there's more power, and just transport the data back and forth? So it's that sort of collaboration that we have done um, in and in, in, in research that we have done with Intel, but Orange was nice enough to give us some real use cases and real uh, problem to solve instead of us just thinking some uh, yeah. what we could solve <laughs> today.
1: That's very nice. Um, you've announced two new um, NFEI platforms. One, NFEI, updated for our second, for second generation, second generation. Exactly. and um, the second is our NFEI forwarding platform. Exactly. Correct. Talk about those and how they differentiate in the marketplace.
6: So what we wanted to offer to our customer is a certain... Benchmark and a certain uh, baseline for them to g- understand that these platforms are tested, validated, and offer a certain level of performance. It's a big risk for a service provider to move away from an appliance towards an x86 architecture and having no guarantee on the performance, having no visibility of uh, on the throughput, and, and these sort of things. So through the Intel Select and these validation platform, we have been able to say these are the, the guaranteed performance you'll get out of this out of this architecture, basically. And that's a a big... That contributes a lot to de-risk the investment in this type of technology for for our customers, our mutual customers.
1: That makes sense. Um, You know, one thing that I know Lenovo has talked about a lot is the importance of open industry standard technology and interoperability. How are you bringing that to bear in the telco arena?
6: So, well... As a follow-up to the example I was giving with Orange, the joint innovation program, we have came up with some good finding on how to measure power consumption versus performance. And we're contributing this to the Yardstick project in uh, in the OpenNV, part of the Linux Foundation. Uh, We've contributed all our equipment to the uh, Etsy. Uh, plug fest for several several years now i think it's eight, eight, eight times in a row uh, we've participated we're now also a co-chair in the open ran which is the uh, alliance that um, really provide an open source infrastructure for radio access and one of the nice project that i am personally involved is the linux foundation uh, virtual central office the vco uh, which is implemented right now in my hometown in montreal and it's hosting a 5g environment um, fully operational, that a service provider can come and test application uh, and different VNF uh, and the interoperability with, between one another. So, so these as much as we can, uh, whatever we find and able to contribute back to the open source community, we do.
1: Now, you talked about the opportunity of the edge. When you look at edge deployments over the next couple of years, what are the sectors that you're seeing? Um, move fastest in terms of adoption of edge services.
6: Sector by industries, you yeah. mean? Well, I'm, 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 I have a vested interest behind communication service provider. Obviously, uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be the one that are moving the fastest, but mm-hmm. definitely are the one that are going to be moving the largest. Mm-hmm. They have the footprint and, and the requirement to service their customers in all of these locations. Uh, what we are seeing is uh, a lot of the content. Uh, Publisher, the streaming companies have uh, the business case is pretty obvious for them. The closer they get to the user, the e- the, the the price per gigabyte is 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 more efficient, right? So is much lower. So so the content service provider are probably one of the earlier er, early use case adopter about this techno- of this technology.
1: Fantastic, Charles. Thank you for sharing your perspectives today, and congratulations on the announcements uh, this week at the Hague. One final question for you. If folks want to find out more about the solutions Lenovo is delivering in this space, where would you send them?
6: I would send them to lenovo.com slash C-O-S-P for communication service provider. So lenovo.com slash C-O-S-P.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on today.
6: Thank you very much. Have a good day.
1: Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to be joined by Shalab Goel, AVP of Products and Services for Artificial Intelligence, Machine Learning, and Deep Learning at HCL Technologies. Welcome to the show.
7: Thanks, Allison, and thanks for having me here, actually, and uh, appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad to be here.
1: So... Tell me a little bit about your focus on artificial intelligence and machine and deep learning at HCL and how that relates to the topics at hand at SDN NFE World Congress this week.
7: Sure. So actually interesting you call that out because I do wear multiple hats at HCL. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in context of today's conversation, okay, my function is that I drive product management and marketing or Cloud Native Network Function Acceleration Solutions Portfolio. Ah, okay. Okay? So it's a bit different than, you know, what my title shows. But um, just to give you a high-level overview of HCL and where I come from, um, HCL is a leading technology services and solutions provider. Mm -hmm. We are global. We have presence and we operate in 30-plus countries, Um, an annual run rate of 8.3 billion, 125,000 strong employee workforce okay mm-hmm. so telecom and um and networking is a strong focus for us okay 30% of our revenue comes from this vertical it's very mature for us and we play in all sectors mm-hmm. so telecom oems service providers slash operators uh, semi equipment and semi chip okay so so that is the broad background and i just talked about like my, my role in context of, of today's converse, conversation, which is driving product management and marketing.
1: Now, you describe HTL as you know, a, a very established player in the comm service provider arena. We're talking about cloud-native network function acceleration, which is a very advanced topic. So let's back up for a second and, and talk about um, why are Com service providers looking at cloud native environments to run their networks, and where are we on the journey of their deployment of these cloud native networks?
7: So interesting, you call that out because see this. So we we all we have all heard that network the cloud the service provider the service provider cloud network needs to evolve, and it's going through a transformation. Okay, mm-hmm. and STN and NfV are at the center of it. They're at the forefront of it. But these complementary technologies of SD and NFV, um, the progress has been slower than expected. It has been called out in multiple forums and more recently in an article in Mobile Europe too. And, And the reason being, one of the big reasons being, hosting these complex networking functions in cloud, they are computationally intensive, okay? And there could be bottlenecks in there that can lead to performance degradation, in real time specifically when you're talking about applications that will run on 5g networks which are ultra high bandwidth right right require very fast processing and you know ultra low latency so that could be that is one of the big reasons where um, the deployment the adoption um, of SDN and nfv have has lagged exactly
1: you know, I think that this is a, a great point and, and one where Intel is also very focused. I know that we have a collaboration between our companies to address this to look at the ways that we can accelerate network functions. Tell me about that.
7: So um, Intel and HCL actually envisioned this, this, that as an opportunity mm-hmm. and, and came up with a solution, developed a solution that leverages Intel's FPGA cards or Intel's mm-hmm. FPGA-based platforms to accelerate uh, data center and network element workloads in SD and NFE environment, and that significantly results in like data plane like um, performance improvements such as data plane reports.
1: Mm-hmm. Why is the the coupling of a CPU with an FPGA um, pack a great design for this type of environment?
7: So here we are not talking about kind of replacing CPU. The FPGA works alongside CPU technologies to provide hardware acceleration for bottlenecks that are like not only computationally intensive, but actually um, they are um, limiting resources in terms of you know, that could be leveraged for hosting other workloads. Mm-hmm. So, so together, I think it's a complementary solution. And um, not just it basically um, improves performance from a data plane throughput perspective, but it it kind of um, frees up that those precious CPU cycles or cores, as you may say, uh, that could be deployed. Uh, you know that could be leveraged to deploy other uh, revenue generating uh, telecom, telecom telecom applications or VNFs.
1: Now I know that we've been targeting segment routing for IPv. At- excuse me, IPv6 yeah. virtual network functions, why was that a particular focus? And are, are those the, um, the those are the top priority in terms of workloads where you're seeing these bottlenecks?
7: So uh, it is a proof point that mm-hmm. was specifically where we developed hardware acceleration for SRV6 uh, to align with the customer requirement. And there are many more. So let me walk you through what exactly is SRv6 in very like plain and basic place basic terms? SRv6 segment routing over v6 IPv6. It is a routing para- paradigm actually that uses source-based routing, which means the forwarding path is encoded in the segment routing uh, mm-hmm. uh, header. Okay. okay. So uh, just just walking you through a scenario, you can think of these VNFs, so virtualized network functions. A bunch of them actually deployed in cloud. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you can think of these VNFs as being like providing as f- service functions. So, when a packet enters a network, a packet uh, probably needs to be consumed or serviced by one or more of these VNFs. Mm-hmm. So, the sequence in this, which packet, in sequence in which this packet should be consumed and traverses traverses the network, that is what is encoded in the segment routing mm-hmm. SRv6 header. Okay, and what we found that processing this SRv six header as the packet traverses the network and is routed to these service functions also called as like VNfs, that was computationally intensive. Mm-hmm. so if so by offloading that uh, you know segment header processing functionality to an FPGA, okay? not only improved the performance by a factor of 2x, which is significant, it mm-hmm. also basically, we were also able to achieve 100% line rate yeah. using 40% less uh, compute resources. And we are in the process of publishing a paper, a white paper documenting this solution along with the results as we, p- as we speak on an Intel, on Intel website.
1: So obviously, this is a great collaboration between Intel and HCL and delivering a solution that offers a lot of compelling value. What did HCL uniquely bring to this solution, and how do you see yourselves differentiating market?
7: Oh, sure, absolutely. would love to answer that, Alison. So HCL's capabilities in FPGA and RTL design and development um, are extensive experience uh, working with VNFs. Mm-hmm. So not only we have established um, collaboration with VNF vendors, but we have working relationships with VNF vendors in space like SD-WAN, um, Virtual IMS, Firewall, VRAN, to name a few. And to give you one more data point, HCL drove an initiative to onboard and validate uh, 100 plus VNFs on a specific N- nFvi infrastructure. So this, coupled with um, our investments and co-innovation partnership with Intel, uh, definitely uh, positions us to be a leading vendor in this cloud-native network function acceleration space.
1: That sounds fantastic, and it's a great early (laughs) proof point of the the power of the the collaboration and the power of the technology. Um, When you look forward and you think, okay, this was a a first workload that we looked at, segment routing. What other workloads are there that you think would be good candidates for the, a similar type of solution?
7: So um, a good question. Actually, the world of VNF has, has proliferated. And, mm-hmm. and you know, across the board, you're talking about deploying VNFs um, in cloud in basically at the edge or in enterprise data centers. So it is about uh, identifying those specific bottlenecks in those workloads that are prime candidates for acceleration. Right, So some of the workloads that we are looking at, again, in line with our understanding and also market needs and, and customer requirements are OVS, virtual EPC, uh, firewall, virtual IMS, to name a few, and, and like VRANs. So um, these are at top of the list.
1: That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You just um, named off um, almost an endless array of workloads <laughs> to go conquer. Yeah. Um, and then now, what is next for the HCL and Intel team in terms of going off and 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 driving um, these additional workloads?
7: So clearly, we have a roadmap planned out um, mm-hmm. as i as I called out before, in line in line with the customer customer needs and market requirements, and also taking into consideration. And the roadmap, like, for example, uh, multi-tenancy, mm-hmm. multi-tenancy where you can host multiple workloads, applications on a single FPGA that you can configure uh, dynamically and manage in real time. So that's what is in works.
1: Very nice. Now, obviously, it's early days. You talked about publishing the results um, on the Intel website and uh, targeting some additional workloads. But I'm sure you've talked about this with comm service provider customers and, and, and different um, folks who might benefit very, um, f- very much from this innovation. What's the response been? Uh,
7: fantastic. Actually, the specific SRV6 workload that I talked about, the hardware acceleration, it's already in trials with the leading uh, tier one uh, North American service provider. That is one to start with. Second thing is, um, um, it is actually uh, gaining a lot of attention in marketplace in service. provider. Uh, we have seen RFP RFI is being floated out, uh, basically naming specific workloads and understanding, you know, um, the offloading technologies and how it can uh, dramatically improve performance and more importantly reduce latency. Uh, we are talking about for mission critical applications. Mm-hmm. So, so it is it is catching up. Okay, um, I, I think that the awareness is there. Um, there is uh, understanding that it uh, it is necessary um, and. Um, And and, and we are seeing interest for across the board. And we are not just talking, we are talking global.
1: I I would assume that when you achieve a doubling of performance and 100% line rate, that does get people's attention um, in terms of wanting to take this into trial. So that's fantastic to hear. When you look at that, Shalab, and and see and put in context with what you're hearing about at SDN and NFE World Congress this week, what else are you excited about seeing and where do you want to see more from the broader industry in terms of innovation to um, fully realize the potential of network virtualization and transformation of networks?
7: So... um Great question. Uh, I'm just thinking how how to answer it like correctly. So so clearly, um, the, the, we are all hearing right. The network needs to transform to accelerate five G deployment, and SD and NFV are at the center of it, right? So um, it is um, it is evident, right? Basically, that how hardware acceleration can improve performance of data center. And network elements,
3: mm-hmm.
7: okay, in in this whole journey of five G uh, deployment, and how it needs to become an integral part of service provider strategy, mm-hmm. um, in order to you know uh, to start uh, not just deploying uh, SDN NFV and drive acceleration and and drive adoption and acceleration of the ecosystem around it.
1: Nice. Yeah. Well, Shalab, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you. I have one final question for you yeah. before you go. Um, if folks want to find out more about the solutions that you talked about today and HCL Technologies solutions in general for this space, where can they go for more information and connect with your team?
7: So uh, we, as, as I mentioned, we are in the process of creating some collateral and, and publishing it on our website. Uh, so definitely I, I can send you links. Okay, offline to um, um, to the information that actually will be published both on Intel and HCL website.
1: Fantastic. Okay. So in the meantime, just go to hcltechnologies.com.
7: HCL, HCLTech.com. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here today.
7: Thanks, Alison. Thanks. Thanks for again. Thanks again for having me. Take it.
1: Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. Today we're coming to you live from SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to be joined by Rabi Abdel, network virtualization and SDN NFE lead architect at Vodafone. Welcome to the
3: show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Robbie, why don't you just start with um, an introduction of your role at Vodafone and how it relates to the topic today, which is Common NFVI Telco Task Force.
3: Yeah, so I work for the Cloud Center of Excellence within Vodafone Group. Our responsibility really is to generate uh, reference architecture and blueprints for our markets at Vodafone to help them and assist them to deploy their workloads into both cloud infrastructure. And during that work, I I look after the innovation streams within uh, the cloud COE trying to look at open source communities, how do we really leverage the open source components to build that cloud infrastructure, and also trying to identify where the gaps are and be more proactive and aggressive into addressing them. And hence, we found out uh, the need for having this uh, common NVI task force that uh, we really lead, leading at Vodafone.
1: Now, since the inception of network function virtualization, comm service providers have been at the forefront of defining standards and uh, driving engagements uh, for technology innovation. This is another example of Com service provider leadership. Tell me about the common NFPI Telco Task Force and why the time was right for the formation.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people talk about uh, the need for collaboration, need for coming up with a consistent way of doing the NFV. Mm-hmm. And while I see NFV trying to define the reference architecture, what was really missing is a common way of tackling the challenges that we face as an industry, we talk about automation, we talk about orchestration, and especially cloud native move for our workloads. And the common I really trying to drive simplification. And a lot of the challenges we see in the industry, and the reason, in my, my view, the slow of delivering on NFV is the integration challenges we see and the amount of configuration possible that comes from our suppliers and vendors tackling different issues and different workloads. So, what we said, okay, let's have a framework that we operators sit together alongside vendors and suppliers and figure out how do you really simplify the delivery of those workloads in a common infrastructure. Because in my views, that's the fundamental piece. If we standardize on the infrastructure, that makes everything possible on top of that. So CNTT, in a nutshell, is trying to drive simplification in different fronts.
1: Now, as I understand it, the group is focused on reference models, reference architectures, and reference implementations. And publication of these, why is this so critical in terms of accelerating the market?
3: Absolutely, because if you look at how it's happening today, especially with the move to cloud-native, different vendors bringing their own requirements when it comes to the infrastructure, and that really causes a lot of side deployments of our network. That brings a lot of challenges on the way we operate network as a telecom, but also it will make it really hard to scale out the infrastructure as we're trying to share and utilize the infrastructure across multiple workloads, and that will reduce the cost up and slow the time to market. Now, the common VI is, as I mentioned, trying to tackle the way we to deal with VNF vendors in the way that we <coughs> expose to them a certain specification of the NVI which we really need. they need to design against and that really bring in more consistency on the way VNFs are building their application. And hence, as operator, I could actually develop and deploy more than one workload in the same infrastructure and have a consistent way of operating the infrastructure. Additional to that, if you think about it, then whenever we would like to deploy an application into our uh, network, there's a certain level of certification and verification need to happen internally because before that, service goes live. And with this level of consistency in the way the infrastructure is being designed and specified, that means we operators could rely on an industry-driven programs such as OVP, for example, mm-hmm. to offload a lot of those aspects of certification from internally in Vodafone to relying on those open-source uh, programs to do certification on our behalf. And that will mean... We could focus more on the service creation that for our customers, but also will reduce the cost for us, and we will, be, will become easy entry for innovators and newcomers into the industry to come into our Vodafone and play in our ecosystem.
1: It seems also like it it allows for a more choice for the providers in terms of expecting. Um, similar types of capabilities from VNF suppliers, from orchestration suppliers, and you being able to choose from best of breed to meet your clients' requirements.
3: Absolutely, indeed. And uh, if you look at the the outcome of a CNTT, the first one is really the reference model. And this is the best way you think about it. If you are on Amazon, for example, today, Amazon has a predefined set of infrastructure profiles Mm -hmm. which they expect uh, customers to deploy the application on top of they don't, have, don't give customers a say on what kind of infrastructure lying underneath. And as operator, we need something exactly like this. And this mm-hmm. is what we're trying to do in CNTT. And to your point, once we have that consistent infrastructure, that makes it easier for smaller players, actually, and innovators to come into play. Because all what they need today is understand what the capabilities of our infrastructure mm-hmm. and then know exactly where to go to certify and verify their VNFs and hence their entry into Vodafone and other operators become much simpler but they also benefit us as a result because that will mean we could innovate, we could deliver better cost, better service to our customers and also we'll have a better market, time to market in that way.
1: Now you mentioned the desire of uh, looking at cloud native architectures and obviously the agility and, and portability of workloads within cloud native environments are appealing uh, to the provider arena. but. Where are we with those implementations and how does the work of the common NFVI telco task force fit in there?
3: That's actually a good question. So one of the things we, we start uh, tackling in CNTT, how do I really drive cloud-native implementation from vendors? And w- the typical answer we always get from the Vienna vendor, operators don't agree on the right way to do that. So what we said, okay, if we come up with a hybrid model of reference architecture that will allow us to run both virtual machine workload as well as container workload, take that as a starting point, define our destination, and find the best way to go into that fully cloud native, fully orchestrated, fully automated environment, but doing it in a consistent way by choosing exactly the same roadmap and working alongside our vendors to take them step by step into getting to that goal. Instead of each operator trying to take a different route, Let's optimize that route to our destination and do it collaboratively, collaborate in it. Because at the end of the day, we operators do not really compete in the infrastructure anymore. We're looking at what services we could provide our customer on top of that infrastructure. For, for, f- this is why it's really for all our interest as operators to have that consistency and that cloud native paradigm that to, to, to start looking at and seeing, deployed in our infrastructure so we could really accelerate the services we deliver, develop, uh, deliver to our customers.
1: Now, Robbie, obviously um, Vodafone has taken a very uh, assertive stance in terms of um, leadership in um, these uh, open uh, industry standard programs. Who else is involved in the common NFEL telco task force from a standpoint of the providers as well as the uh, leaders within the infrastructure?
3: So actually, uh, it's all available online. So if you look at the current membership list we have, we, are, we have around 45, and actually the list is growing every day. When I speak right before I came to speak to you, uh, we have people interested in joining the CNTT. Now, the typical uh, NVI vendors we have in, uh, in in CNTT, we have pretty much m- all the big players in the NFI w- in the VNF world. I really don't want to start s- uh, mentioning names because I would like to give enough credit to everyone who actually member of that. But... Our Wiki page and our site explain details who are currently members in uh, in CNTT and showing how can you contribute and become a member. But We have around 45 different organizations contributing actively into CNTT today.
1: Now, I know that you guys publish your reference models, reference architectures, reference implementations on your GitHub Wiki. Where can folks engage um, and what do you expect to be coming out as we head into 2020 in terms of different types of publications?
3: Absolutely. So we have a, a very ambitious uh, roadmap. Uh, and the reason why we have the ambitious roadmap because our really immediate interest is to build that framework into to and then allow us as an industry uh, collaboratively to figure out what's the best thing we need to do next into getting to our destination. So we have a reference model, which is really building the relation with VNF already released uh, back in two weeks ago in ONS Europe in Antwerp and we are looking at uh, finalizing the reference architecture for OpenStack by January uh, next year. And this is becoming where we start expecting and the VI vendors to think about how do we verify their and the solutions OpenStack based against the reference architecture. Moving into April next year, we, st- we will be looking at having the reference architecture for Kubernetes being started to uh, come along, and that will expect also to look at some gaps exist in Kubernetes world and CNCF, when it comes to things like networking, security, uh, uh, multiple NIC cards, and how do we really tackle them as a collaboratively, collectively to find a solution that fits everyone. Now, additionally, in the, in the January next year, we at uh, looking at, start looking at, NVI certification program, where we start seeing, uh, NVI VI solution targeting OpenStack specifically at this point, to be able to verify their solutions against CNTT. And moving forward to April, we'll start looking at uh, VNF certification programs to see how VNFs will be compliant to CNTT standard and adherent to the reference model we build in CNTT.
1: That's fantastic. It seems like a great way to ex- both accelerate the market as well as um, reduce the cost of redundant testing of infrastructure by multiple cl- comm service providers. Seems like a lot of potential here. Robbie, one final question for you. If folks want to engage, where would you send them for more information and to engage with the team?
3: Yeah, if you Google CNTT, you will hit the first one is CNTT GitHub. If you go there, there is a wiki page which shows you introduction about the program, the meeting times and the Zoom IDs you need. But Also, it will show you the work streams we have because we have a big interest at the moment coming from everyone in the industry. We structured the CNTT into different work streams from Mm -hmm. reference model, reference architecture, reference implementation. And we introduced a fourth one called reference certification, which is looking at how do we work with the industry to drive that certification program. So we feel free to sign up to any of those uh, work streams. You can add your name against any of them. Enjoy the meetings and take it from there.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the program today.
3: Thanks a lot. My pleasure.